And I'm so thankful that today we gather in celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited to preach this message. Not long ago, Dad leaned over to me and he said, Son, you're not nervous, are you? And honestly, I looked down and said, No. If a preacher cannot find enjoyment on Easter, preaching about what we're going to get to preach about today, he ain't a preacher at all. All I'm going to do today is brag on the Lord Jesus and his miracle, victorious power over the grave. Now, some of you may be joining us for the very first time, and you're seeing some, I don't know, unique things about our church. Um, you're noticing that occasionally somebody stands up right behind you and it feels like they just shook the earth with a, Amen! And you feel like you want to crawl under a pew somewhere. And you were wondering, what is going on? Well, I'll tell you, the reason that they do that is that is what we do when something is bubbling inside of you and you agree with it so wholeheartedly and it just feels so good that the words being said or the song being sung just makes you so happy, they just roar and they say, Amen, preacher! And it's not wrong to say amen. In fact, it's a good thing when you agree with what the preacher says. More often than not, they don't agree with us, however, unfortunately. Uh, take your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 28. Find your place in Matthew chapter 28. And we will also be finding ourselves in John chapter 20. Now, I'm not going to try keeping you very long. I, I, I just want to talk to you for just a few brief moments on the resurrection and maybe I can present it to you in a way that you've never heard it presented before. And, you know, there's really no new thing under the sun. So even if you have presented it, uh, heard it presented this way, maybe you can still find some enjoyment out of it. Matthew chapter 28 will be our first text. And John chapter 20 will be our second text. It was about two years ago when I had been summoned to jury duty. I've told this story before. And uh, I did not think that I would be selected. There's a room of about 200 folks that you first go into, and then they select out of that pool. And everything that I had heard up until that point, especially from my father, was, Son, you're a Baptist preacher. They don't want you on that jury at all. You would not be the type of person they're looking for. And so I said, Praise the Lord. I'm glad he called me into the ministry. It has its perks. Amen. And so I, I, I did not think that I would be at all summoned to the smaller selection of 60. So I'm in the room of 200, and uh, they begin to read off the list of names. And guess who the very first selection called was? Andrew Wolfenbarger. And I said, oh, and everybody laughed at me because they saw my disdain for my dis selection. But... I, I, I was summoned, and, and basically, if you get into that smaller pool, they then take you into the room, and they begin to share some of the uh, unique details about the case. They introduce you to the, uh, the defendant, and then they uh, begin to ask you all sorts of questions, and they even begin to present to you some type of evidence so that they can ask you questions like, well, could you consider just probation if he were found guilty? Could you also consider 20 years if he were found guilty? And so you have to answer those questions. Well, basically, I'll sum this up, and I'm not sure I'm doing something wrong here or not, but basically this was the, the whole deal. 
One day, somebody came home and found a man leaving their house with a TV in his hands. Repair man. <laughs> Repair man. Exactly right. And because of that, this man was now defending himself. Now, I don't know what other evidence was going to be presented, but I would say that that's pretty tough evidence against a guy. Today, all we're going to be looking at is indisputable evidence of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I was reading some stories of some in other cases with indisputable evidence. I, I, I liked three myself. There was the case of the liquor store Romeo. He walked into a liquor store and he was going to sneak a bottle of vodka out. He put the vodka, uh, hit it on his person and, and left. Uh, police did not have any trouble finding him, however, because once they realized that he had stolen the bottle of vodka, he had given his phone number and his uh, uh, name to the attendant, the clerk, because he thought she was attractive. The liquor store Romeo. They didn't have trouble tracking him down. There was another man, the case of the endless receipt. He walked in, and I believe he walked into a, a Captain Galley restaurant. It's in Hickory, North Carolina. He uh, went and stole the cash register, and he took it to his apartment, which happened to be just a mere 50 yards away from the restaurant. Police had no difficulty tracking him down, however, because the tape of the receipt had unraveled as he walked home. So literally, and this would only happen in North Carolina, probably. <laughs> but they literally just followed the receipt, busted through the door, and there he was trying to pry the cash register open in his apartment. I read another one, and this is probably my favorite. There was a man in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this, this is the case of the angry arguer. This man had gotten into a confrontation with a lady. He actually then struck the lady, and then another man came forward and he struck him with his briefcase. As he struck the man with his briefcase, uh, all of his papers flew out of his briefcase, and he quickly fled the scene. And they didn't have difficulty tracking him down because the papers that were in his briefcase that had spilled everywhere were his uh, papers for his anger management courses. I would say that these people were going to have a very hard time proving their innocence. And I'll tell you another thing. As I study the Bible and as I study the Word of God, I just don't see how someone could not believe that Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross. But the best and most glorious part of the story is he did not just die on the cross, but he went to a borrowed tomb. Notice the word borrowed. And this is different than when we say, hey, Dad, can I borrow some money? It's different than that because Jesus intended to give it back because on the third day, my friends, the tomb was vacant. And Jesus said, oh, Joseph, you can have the tomb. I don't need it anymore. And Jesus Christ rose again on the third day. I'm so thankful for that. And I tell you, if you look at the evidence, it is indisputable. I want to share with you here in Matthew 28 the first bit of indisputable evidence, and that is the cover-up. The cover-up. Look in Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. The Bible says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and 
rolled back the stone from the door. Now notice there's been an earthquake and a very large stone has been rolled from the door and set upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. That's a lot to take in. And man, at the sight of this angel and at the sight of everything that was going on, they just fell over unconscious. They just passed out right there on the scene. Now skip down with me in verse 11. I want you to notice what takes place. These men were very aware of what was taking place. Verse 11, now the Bible says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, now that would have been the keepers uh, of the tomb, came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So basically, they get bribed. They're paid off under the table, under the rug. They say, hey guys, if you'll just take this money, we don't really want this type of press out. So if you'll just take this money, go ahead and don't speak of this. And in fact, we'll just give you another story. And the story is that you, you just fell asleep and that the disciples, his disciples, came and stole the body. And this is a pretty good story until you begin to review what has taken place up until this point. Look in chapter 27, and I want you to notice in, uh, in verses 57 why these men were ever even at the tomb in the first place. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, then Pilate commanded the body to be, be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in uh, his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now notice this. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir... We remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, and make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So basically what takes place in chapter 27 is the, the, the high priest and these Pharisees come to Pilate and they say, Now, we remember, out of all the things that this man said, one of the craziest things he said was, if he were to die, on the third day he would raise himself up again. And so with everything in their being, they were trying to avoid this type of thing from happening. 
And so they had fear that his disciples would come and steal him from the tomb. So they go to Pilate and say, Pilate, uh, where's my Pilate? Evan, where are you? Oh, there's, there's my Pilate. He said, Pilate, here, here's the thing. He said that he was going to raise again from the dead, and we don't really believe him, but maybe we should just take precautions. So Pilate says, all right, I'll tell you what. You take a watch. You set that watch. You tell them exactly when to be ready, for it was the third day that they would have been the most prepared, right? You tell them when to be ready. You tell them the story. You, you set them up. And I don't know where we get the idea that there was only two of them there. Uh, Roman rule would have had it about 20 with a centurion there guarding with a watch. So I, I don't know where we get that two number, but here it is. They say, you have a watch. Go protect the tomb. Set it up. And then they do that. Well, what takes place is Jesus truly raises, raises himself from the dead like he had promised. Uh, the tomb was, uh, uh, the, the stone was rolled back. The seal on the tomb, like we would seal an envelope, the seal on the tomb was ripped apart. Jesus came forth and they say, I'll tell you what, how about you just tell everybody you fell asleep? Well, I have a few questions for you. Think with me, if you will. Why would these men have fallen asleep if they were to be the most prepared on the third day? I mean, Jesus didn't, they could have slept night one. They didn't even have to be there night one. Night two, they didn't have to be there. But these men were, are compared to our modern day Navy SEALs as far as their military training. And you're telling me that this is the type of men who have been set to watch the tomb and then they say, Oh, well, we just fell asleep. I, I, I don't think so. Not to mention that, but Pilate says, okay, okay, you, you, you feel that serious about it. You take a watch. You have any and all means to protect this tomb. And he says, you make it as sure as you can. So they could have had as many guys there as they wanted. They had Pilate's authority to just, just put the whole troop there. And you know what? It was all just a cover-up. Because in reality, Jesus did not just get stolen by his disciples. And you can see that by the fact that his disciples were surprised he wasn't there. They come to the tomb and the angel says, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Well, why would they not know that if they had stolen him? Oh, my friend, you can tell one of the indisputable evidences of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the fact that Roman rule and Jewish governance had decided to shut and hush the message of the resurrection up as much as they could. And I'll tell you another thing. You are living in a land of law-law if you think that the same exact thing is not happening today. Oh, people don't want the message of Christ out. And, 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 and even if they don't mind the name of Christ out, they sure don't want this resurrection power out. Because the same power that is in Jesus is the same power that helps me get up in the morning and helps me walk this Christian life and helps me face the battles and the trials that I deal with every day. And it's the same resurrection power. This world will try hushing us up as much as they can. Oh, you can see one indisputable evidence is the cover-up. I want you to notice secondly with me, the show-up. Oh, not only did the government try to cover all this mess up, but now, Jesus shows up. Oh, I love this part of the story. Now take your Bible to our second passage of Scripture, John chapter 20. And in fact, in this passage is the celebration of the very first Easter. 
Now, the disciples don't know it yet, but they're involved in the very first Easter. John chapter 20, verse number 12, I'm sorry, verse number 14, we see Jesus revealing himself to the first person. The Bible says, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. You know what I've noticed? I don't know a whole lot about spirits. I've never seen a spirit. But when I watch Casper the Friendly Ghost, educational, and I'm sure quite doctrinal, but when I imagine a spirit, I don't think he has legs. And in fact, Jesus taught the same thing. He says, oh, spirits don't have flesh. They don't have hands. And then later on, when Thomas was doubting, you know how you know it wasn't just a spiritual resurrection, as some might teach? Oh, because Thomas was able to thrust his hand into the wounds of Jesus. They were able to see the scars on his hands and on his feet. Oh, this was not a spiritual resurrection, as some might believe. Jesus is standing right here in front of Mary. The Bible says in verse 14, uh, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence. Now this is a disciple of Jesus, and she's blaming him. Sir, if you've taken him somewhere, just tell me. If you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Oh, you see, Jesus came and showed up on the scene. He revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, but skip down just a few verses in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, and that's how you know it was Easter, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. You know, I've noticed a little bit about promises, and promises are only as good as the follow-through. You know, you can promise me something all day, but until you deliver, I won't believe you. And right here, Jesus not only promised he would rise from the dead, not only did Jesus promise he would come back, but Jesus is now standing in front of them as plainly as I'm standing in front of you today. And there was no doubt about it. Jesus says, oh, I'm here. Didn't you believe my words? Didn't you believe my promise? I'm here, my friend. And I'm glad to tell you today, Jesus showed up and delivered on the promise. Not only did he show himself to these few folks, but look in verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Now, one of the, one of the reasons you don't miss church, because Thomas missed the first Easter. Thomas missed church and he missed Christ. He didn't get to see Jesus the very first time. And because he missed church, I want you to notice this, his faith was weakened. And now Thomas, eight days later, uh, and Thomas was with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now Thomas was the man who we know collectively is doubting Thomas. 
He said, oh, I don't believe that Jesus is risen. I don't believe you saw Jesus. Unless I were to be able to put my hands into the wounds, I will not believe. Now look at verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Oh, Jesus not only promised that he would come back from the dead, Jesus showed up and delivered on that promise. And it was seen not only by these disciples, it was not only seen by Thomas, but we learn later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, and that he was buried and that he arose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. You know, I... If I accuse you of something, my dad taught me something a long time ago. He said, son, if one man calleth thee a donkey, payeth him no attention. If two men calleth thee a donkey, buyeth thee a saddle. That's some good, that's some good practical teaching for a child. That's doctrine. In other words, what he's saying is, if one person says something, they might be wrong. If two people say something, you might want to start thinking about what they're saying. If three people say something, maybe you have a real problem. Hey, it's not just like there was one person that got drunk one night or ate anchovies on their pizza right before they went to bed and then they saw Jesus with a flaming sword standing at the foot of their bed. That's not what happened at all. This isn't just a bunch of crazy people. My friends, these people are some of the most educated, some of the most talented, some of the most respected people in all the Word of God, in all the world at this time. And they say, I would love to tell you that I didn't see what I saw, but I saw Jesus plainly standing in front of me. I saw Him. I saw Him. Oh, he was seen of many people, above 500 at one time. Oh, my friends, Jesus not only uh, 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 promised something, but he delivered on that promise and showed up. This morning we sung a beautiful hymn, and it was written by a man who one morning was shaving. He was shaving one Easter morning, getting ready to go preach a sermon at his church, and he had turned on the radio. On the radio there came a liberal preacher. And I know that's strange to think that upon the radio there might be some liberal theologians on the radio. But this man was shaving and he had this liberal preacher on as he was getting ready for the morning that he was about to preach. And this preacher said these words, Good morning. It's Easter. You know, folks, it really doesn't make any difference to me if Christ be risen or not. As far as I am concerned, his body could be as dust in some Palestinian tomb. The main thing is, his truth is marching on. As Mr. Ackley shaved his face and heard these words, he shouted at the top of his lungs almost as if the radio could hear what he was saying. He said, it's a lie! His wife rushes into the bathroom and says, what is wrong? Why are you screaming this morning? Uh, Mr. Ackley responded, Didn't you hear what that good-for-nothing preacher said? He said it didn't matter whether Christ be risen or not. Oh, he went to preach that morning, and Mr. Ackley said that he had never 
felt the, the burden and the passion in his preaching like he did that morning. He came home and sat with his feet propped up and he felt like he had just not expressed everything that he could. Now one thing about it though, Mr. Ackley had a talent for music and his wife looked at him and said, if you haven't expressed yourself the way you think you ought to, why don't you just write a song about it? So Mr. Ackley penned these words. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Oh, He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. You want to know the greatest, most indisputable evidence that the Jesus Christ rose on the third day? You want to know how I know for a fact that my Savior isn't rotting in some Palestinian tomb somewhere? You want to know how I know? Because, my friend, I don't have to take Peter's uh, perspective. I don't have to get Paul's opinion. Jesus Christ lives forevermore in my heart. And I woke up this morning and I said, Jesus, I need your help to preach this sermon. And guess what? He said, oh, I'll help you. I'll wake up tomorrow and I say, Jesus, I need some grace to get through this day. And Jesus will say, my grace is sufficient for thee. I don't need their opinion. And while I appreciate their passion, Jesus Christ showed up in my heart. That's how I know he lives. Today, my friend, you may not feel the same passion that I feel in my heart. The call of Jesus residing in your heart may not exist. Did you know that He offers His presence to all? Did you know that the very reason He suffered pain on the cross of Calvary, the very reason that He endured all that, was so that you could have Him residing in your heart? Did you know that the Bible says that whosoever believes shall be saved? Oh, Jesus Christ lives in my heart, and if He does not live in yours today, I beg you, I pray with you, I plead with you today, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know why? Because it will be the best decision you've ever made. Oh, one indisputable evidence was the cover-up. Another indisputable evidence was the show-up. I want you to notice, thirdly, the other indisputable evidence was the blow-up. The blow-up. Look at verse 19 in John chapter 20. We're almost done. The Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews. Now, after Christ died, if you'll study your Bible... There is a time of great sadness amongst the disciples. Peter feels as if he's a failure. He said, Jesus, though all deny thee, yet I will die with you. I will never deny you. Guess what? He messed up. Peter's depressed. The disciples are meeting privately in rooms. And we see here in verse 19 that they've locked the doors because they're so afraid of what might happen to them if they find out that they had been a follower of Jesus. Now you tell me, would you agree with me that we are here as a direct result of the efforts of guys like Peter, 
of Paul. I mean, there is no Acts chapter 2 if Peter doesn't preach at the day of Pentecost. There is no local New Testament church, which is what you are sitting in today, which is what you are a part of today. There is none of that if Paul does not write all the uh, uh, epistles. We are here as a direct result of the efforts of the apostles and the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how did they get from verse 19 to someone saying these words? These that have turned the world upside down for Christ. How did they get from verse 19 where they're so scared they can't even open the door? They're not even, they don't even have Daniel-type faith. You remember when Daniel opened the windows so that everybody could see him praying? Oh, Daniel said, I don't care what you say, I'm going to pray anyway. They didn't have that type of faith. In fact, I would even submit to you, they were afraid. That's what the Bible says. I would submit to you this morning, something had to happen. Between verse 19 and the very first part of Acts, where the church is beginning to expand and explode. What is it? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that somebody just said, Guys, we've got to get our heads right. I don't necessarily believe as moving of a speaker as Peter was, I don't think that he came in and said, guys, we've just got to keep on keeping on. You know what I think happened? A bunch of people believed and saw the resurrection. And they realized that the man that they had been following for three and a half years was not a liar. He was not a lunatic. But when in reality, he was Lord. And as they saw that, it gave them motivation. It gave them the energy. It gave them the reason to throw the doors wide open and say, you need to believe the Messiah. You need to hear about this Savior. I was there the day when he, when he died on the cross. But then I was there the very first Easter when he opened the doors and said, come see me. I was there. You want to know one of the very best reasons, the most indisputable evidence that Jesus really rose from the dead? You're sitting in this church today. The government was doing everything they could to shush Christianity. They were trying to shut the disciples up. In fact, one day, Peter stands before the council and, and they say, You cannot speak in the name of this Jesus anymore. With threat of his life and threat of beating, Peter said these words, looks right up in their face and says, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. But notice this, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They tried squelching the message and Peter said, I can't stop. They tried shutting him up. They said, I would love to shut up. And John's standing right there, I'd love for Peter to shut up too. Peter says, I would love to, but I can't. Because I saw a risen Savior. I can't stop talking about it. Peter was a working man. He was a fighting man. He was a prideful man. But one day he stood before the, the council and said, I just know without a shadow of a doubt, I saw a resurrected Savior. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a huge fan of going to the fireworks stands when it comes July 4th and when it comes to uh, the new year. You know why? 
Because I don't really know what I'm looking at. We've had some church members have uh, fireworks stands, and I would absolutely love to go in there and be like, yeah, give me the M80s and the buzzle blue looties and the, and the blow up the things and the those things. I would love to be an expert on all the fireworks, but you know what I do? I go in there acting like I'm an expert. Look, yeah, give me, give me one of those red-looking things up there. Those are sweet. And I get home, and I've bought 379 sparklers. <laughs> and, and one of the things about these fireworks is they package them so effectively, almost to mislead you. Like you see this huge explosion on it, and you get it home, and it's a black cat. You say, crack. Well, that was anticlimactic. You light one up, you're like, everyone, get back, get back. And you're hiding behind the vehicle, and it goes, I don't even know what I'm looking at. I would absolutely love to go in there and give me that thing right there and that big one in the... But you know what I've noticed? It's not necessarily about the size of the firework. It's not necessarily about the shape of the firework. You know what it is? What's on the inside of the firework. As plain as some fireworks look, they can be the ones that make the biggest boom. You know how I know Jesus lives? Because he lives in my heart. You know the reason that this church exists and while we're putting on dramas and while we're preaching the gospel and while we're knocking on doors and inviting people to church, you know why that all is happening? Because there's something inside of me that just says, I can't stop talking. And you're saying right now, it's about 12 o'clock. I'd like for you to stop talking right now. It's lunchtime. But I can't! And I won't! No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) My friend, do you ever feel like a firework? you ever feel like there ought to be something bigger in your life than... You wake up in the morning, you go off to work, and you do what you do every day, and it just feels like you're doing it for no significant reason. Almost like you're going through the motions of living. You know what Jesus did in my life, and I know who'll do in yours? He'll give you hope. He'll give you a purpose. Paul said it this way, For when I am weak, uh, then am I strong. You know why he said that? Because the Bible says, and he says, For your strength is made perfect in weakness. My friend today, Jesus Christ is waiting to make your life something bigger than it's ever been before. He's waiting for you to accept Him into your heart so that you can no longer be maybe a prettied up firework or something that may look attractive, but so that you can actually make a difference in this world. Oh, He'll give you purpose. He'll give you a plan. He'll set you on a path. Jesus Christ will give you passion. Oh, my friend, I beg you today, if you are not a Christian, you accept this Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. The fact that he arose from the, third day, uh, from the grave on the third day is reason enough. But that's not the end of the story. He'll take you and make you what you never thought you could be. 
He'll change your life. He'll, make, he'll take you from being a hell-bound sinner to a heaven-bound saint. He'll take you from having no purpose and no meaning, and you won't even be able to explain what your life will mean after you meet this Savior of mine. At the end of the day, it's not even questionable. You can't argue it with me. Jesus rose again. 